Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. I actually had Dustin Cooley, the personal finance dad, for some dueling questions. We went toe-to-toe, uh, -to -toe, mano a mano, and had a good time. I've had him on before, been on his uh, show, so he's a YouTuber. This is for your listening pleasure. He's uh, pretty casual. I am too, actually. Thanks, sponsors. Tops, Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins & Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, ComC.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Rating, Beckett Authentication. So thanks, Dustin. Thanks, everybody. Here it is. Dueling questions. Over the last couple of weeks, we've seen some fraudulent activity. That's nothing new in the hobby, obviously, but in the social media age, it feels everything comes to the surface very quickly. Do you have any experiences with something like this in the past, pre-social media time? First of all, I don't think everything comes to the surface, <laughs> but, yeah. but things percolate up and uh, it's pretty daunting. I think if you're a bad guy in the hobby now, like I say, in the old days, you had to get caught red-handed. Now there's all these forensics and uh, so many things that happen on video. But like I said, I hope the guilty get caught and get punished significantly as a deterrent. So in the old days, I guess I'd say it was a little more innuendo. I think integrity is not a uh, yes or no. I think there's levels of integrity. And some people had a low level of integrity. And I think people would not deal with them as much. They might still deal with them. Obviously, I'm not going to give you any names, but your reputation was important. And it wasn't based on social media, but it was based on the 20th century version of just really knowing the person in real life. And uh, yeah. if they're trustworthy and you knew them, and you, there was some social aspect to it after the show, before the show, all that stuff. Because it's pretty easy to cheat a little bit, but cheating a little bit or a lot, you're going to get caught. I just hope you get caught. And so your reputation is worth a lot. Here's my story. <laughs> I had a mom that if I did anything wrong, she always found out. I wasn't saying thank you, mom, in those days. She's still around. But, and my dad, too. He was the enforcer. And she was, I don't know how she figured out that I did something wrong. But crime doesn't pay. Not in my household, not in my corporate life, not in my personal life. There's too many ways to make money in this industry or make decent money without doing the shortcuts that are illegal. But the sensationalism of, of a police takedown at the card show and opening up a, a box that has worse than junk in it is also pretty shocking. But here's the other thing I guess I would say is that there uh, has always been this excuse of finger pointing. If somebody submitted a trimmed card to PSA or BGS or something, I didn't know it was trimmed. I got it from somebody else. And right. then you go to the somebody else. And say, no, I got it from somebody else. And so it's always that excuse to with blockchain <laughs> and some of these social media sleuths. They're going to keep going back. To, like I said, everything eventually is going to get percolated up. And I hope everything yeah. does get found out because if somebody's doing something bad, let's not castigate the good guys who, who may be innocently involved, but let's try to get uh, rid of the bad guys. Okay, that's maybe enough on a negative topic. Your, your personal finance, Dad, do you do a lot of personal finance advice? I like to talk about sports cards with a finance twist. So I have an interest in the larger kind of macro ideas and the, the economical things going on globally and how that affects other markets. I, I'm, I'm not trying to get into a lot of detail. I'm just saying if people come oh, yeah, yeah. for advice and they say, hey, you're a personal finance dad, I've got a family and I've just come into an inheritance and it's a six-figure inheritance and I'm really thinking I want to spend it on cards, but we're renting an apartment right now. And my wife says we ought to buy a house, but I really think I could buy wisely, double my money in the next couple of years. So would you talk somebody like that off the ledge? What would you say to somebody that was in their 30s, let's say, you know, not in their 50s and not in their 20s, but in their uh, mid-late 30s? They got a 
mid six figure inheritance, enough to buy a house, but the dude is convinced he wants to pour it into cards. Do you do a Solomon split the baby? What do you tell your friend? Because you're in some sense, a, a person of authority and trust. Sure. I think if it was a friend, I would talk them through a few ideas, but in the end though, I would end up referring them off to an advisor, uh, someone that does it for a living. That would be the way that I would go with wait, it. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, sports card advisor? <laughs> yeah. I, was, I would refer them off to uh yeah. Sports card investor, Jeff Wilson. No, I would refer them off to you know an advisor only because I just feel like something like that. I could throw out some ideas. We could talk through some things and maybe they do take me up on some of the things I'm talking about, but I also just don't want to feel responsible if I'm very specific at an angle with something and it doesn't work out or whatever. It, it definitely wouldn't be cards. It with the scenario that you offered up, it wouldn't be cards. Or you know what? It might end up being a little bit in cards, but I, I would refer them off to a couple of other people and say, hey, shop around. I'll throw some ideas at you and then go listen to these few people and then let's talk again. I don't want to be an authority. And, and even with sports cards, when we talk about our channels and influencing, I didn't come in wanting to be the authority on sports cards because frankly, I've been back in the hobby for four years now. I'm not the guy to be talking to about sports card investing. We can throw ideas at each other, but I'm more documenting my journey and then throwing ideas out in the universe. And then it's great because people comment what they think. I always ask for their opinions. I like to just throw things out there and see what viewership says. I've actually learned a ton from viewership. So I don't want to necessarily be the authority on finance stuff. I'm just saying, would you aggressively try to discourage this guy from putting this mid six figure inheritance all into cards? Yes, I would aggressively say not to put it all into cards. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to be the guy now. How much can I put in the cards? <laughs> yeah, half yeah. put in half. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that'll be the problem is then he'll be talking to me. Then it'll be like, oh man, my wife is leaving me. And now we need to talk about other divorce. What's divorce? Let's talk through that. It'll be a whole different conversation. <laughs> yeah. No, cards are fun and it is a hobby. And yes, you can make money, but it should be, I think, something on the side is part of a larger portfolio that's fun. Fair enough. Okay. So the rise in card shows as we're moving through the pandemic, hopefully getting to the other side of the pandemic. I was born in 81. The card shows, I feel like locally were big in my area. I was in Panama City, Florida, and it, I felt like there was a card show in the mall every weekend. But in my little sphere, it felt like there was a lot of shows. Do you feel like these shows that are coming up now, they seem to be more creative, they're getting bigger. Was it similar to this in the early 90s, that late 80s timeframe when it was really booming along? Was there big shows like this nationwide when you guys were traveling around your team or was it more regional? Well, it was all the above, except there were way more shows in that late 80s, early 90s uh, period than there are now. A lot of small shows, a couple thousand shows a month. There were too many shows to go to all of them, but we had guys going. And generally, they might go to some small shows of our analysts, but they would anchor the trip on a big show. And generally, those were regional shows that were at a prescribed kind of time of the year. So you could set your calendar that Labor Day weekend was going to be San Francisco and Memorial Day was going to be Los Angeles and whatever. And there were East Coast equivalents as well. But now there's never been as big of a regular show in Dallas as there is right now. This Dallas show oh, wow. is bigger than this. Every one of Kyle's big shows is bigger than any other show that's been in Dallas in history, other than the Nationals, which were actually in Arlington. The shows are bigger. The shows are on steroids. <laughs> They're on PEDs. The shows are just very dynamic and very exciting. But I remember going to shows in the time period you're talking about, late 80s, early 90s, 
you know, go to Chicago, there'd be four shows. One of them would be bigger, like a Sun-Times thing. And then the other three would be more local that had 50 tables, let's say. Yeah. 40 tables. Okay. Still any $2 admission or something like that in the suburbs. But the downtown, not convention center, but the bigger hotel shows, they were exciting in those days. But this is bigger. Three years ago, they, these same shows were one-fourth the size at best. And so I hope there's more and bigger shows because shows are fun. There's also, I doubt, even 10% as many card shops as there were 30 years ago. Oh, yeah. there, were, there were 10 times as many card shops. And there's more now than there were two years ago. But I, I like it. I, I'm bullish. I, I think there's going to be more shops and more shows in 2022 and 23, 23. And I think Fanatics is in the business of hopefully promoting the whole hobby, which includes all those elements. Okay. I got a new person that's coming up to you because you're the personal finance. Yeah. This is a guy comes up and he says, <laughs> I uh, work for Goldman Sachs and we're thinking about deploying some millions of dollars into this category. And instead of buying a company, we're thinking about buying some blue chip cards. So first question is, what would those blue chip cards be in your mind? And then number two, would you advise them to turn around and go back where you came from? Because that could really mess up the market. If somebody spent millions and millions of dollars on soccer cards or anything. I feel like that's what happened a couple of years ago. No, um, not, not, not institutional though. Not institutional. Okay, so if we're just staying with institutional money, that is a tricky one because on the higher end, the market hasn't really come back down to earth. So really, you're buying high if you're coming in now. But of course, that's all relative. You you might be buying high or in five, 10 years, maybe it's that much higher. We have no idea. That, that is a tricky one. But you're right. If institutional money comes in, I, I assume they would not be buying base rookie card, like Luka Doncic, PSA 10s. They would probably be going after Jordan PMG greens or reds or whatever, and Mickey Mantle 52 tops and you know, those big time cards, I would assume. My thought is it pushes that higher echelon even higher. Um, I just wonder, I look at the lower and mid-tier market. I hear all the time, rising tide raises all boats. And to some degree, I, I agree with that. But I think that people take that a little bit too literally where they think that Giannis RPA sells for $2 million. So all the Giannis cards move up. And that's not really the case, in my opinion. It, they do move up when there's big news like that, but not a big card doubles. It, every other card doesn't double. But they do move up because there's more attention and more focus on that player or that brand or a, a similar kind of a card. But yeah, I agree. Institutional, what I was getting at is that they almost have to go after big cards. Yes. And and I think there is money coming in. The fractionals are doing that, but mm. they're chasing the same stuff, which is driving up the price. And so maybe that's a whole separate episode to talk about the rising tide. You're trying to downsize your collection. If I'm right on this, are you having success? Do you have a set number you're trying to reach? It's a joke, LOL, <laughs> but I don't want to have too many that won't fit in my coffin. <laughs> Actually, I'm not having any cards in my coffin, but I do have more than a coffin's worth of cards. I've had Success with ComC. I'm selling about 1% of what I have on ComC every month. New stuff in, get still 1%. The problem is the stuff that doesn't go to ComC, that's growing 1%. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I bought some car at the show and then I'll send some of them to ComC. I'll keep some of them for me. And the ones I don't want, that's a problem. I'm trying to get a little more aggressive. I'm probably not going to get at tables at shows but I'm starting to do a little bit more on eBay where I can sell some lots to try to lighten my load because it's almost not how many cards I have. It's how much do they weigh? 
And how much room do they take? Because I'm of the generation where more cards was supposed to be better. My card wall, I don't have room to put stuff on the wall that I want to put on the wall. So constantly going through and doing that. So have you seen Chris, baseball card collector, investor, dealer, his YouTube channel? He's got almost 50,000 subscribers. I've heard him on somebody's thing. I was with him at the Raleigh show here a couple of weeks ago. His bread and butter is going through vintage commons, 50s, 60s, and then he lots them up and then he sells them online, either ComC or eBay. There was a guy that was selling like 50 Tom Glavin rookie cards. He talked them down to 25 cents a card. He sells them for 75 cents, however it goes in the lot. But I, that was interesting. I'm just watching him work. No, yeah, I'm afraid he's the baseball collector, dealer, investor in that order. I remember that. But no, that wouldn't be me. That, that's a little bit too engaged. That's more active. I, I'm looking to be a little more passive. To just group up the lots, I'm willing to take less. In fact, that was my exercise. I realized if I hire somebody to do it for me, I've got to mark it up. Or I could just mark it down and sell it myself and get it directly into the hands of somebody that wants it. What I'm thinking is that once I get rolling, somebody will say, what else you got? And yeah. I'll say, I've got this and this. And they'll say, I live in Fort Worth or something. And I'm going to come over sometime. And, and, and maybe I'll let them do it. The man in the moon. 